The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we are just working our little heinies off this week, as every week, to bring you the education and inspiration that you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has so much stuff going on right now that I'm just going to direct you to their website at CincinnatiRIA.com if you are here in the Greater Cincinnati area. Cincinnati RIA has recently added three brand new focus groups for people interested in notes, in uh, hands-off passive investing, not landlording, but actual don't ever see or touch the property kind of passive investing and also for women investors and uh, it's one of many uh, new programs that Cincinnati RIA is offering right now so if you haven't checked it out in a while go to CincinnatiRIA.com and see what is going on one of the things that's going on is the September 7th meeting which uh, I know it seems like a really long way away but the reason I mention it is that today's guest, Chris McClatchy, is the featured speaker at that meeting. And if you're here in the area and you listen to Chris here on the air for an hour, you're going to be like, I totally need to go check that guy out. And I'm t- giving you a warning ahead of time. Get out your phone. Put September 7th in it. Uh, it's at the usual location at the Ramada Inn on Chester Road. And Chris will be there talking about the power of zero, <laughs> something that will become become clear what that is. Uh, a little bit uh, into the program here today. Uh, you can download a free guest pass for that meeting also at CincinnatiRIA.com. So as I mentioned, my guest today is Mr. Chris McClatchy. He is actually a multi-time guest here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Um, uh, primarily because he is an extremely experienced uh, real estate investor with over 17 years experience in the business. And he is one of the top uh, experts in the whole country on the topic of seller financing, negotiating seller financing. Uh, he's actually joining us by phone, not from his home in Florida, but of, from all places of Dayton, Ohio, where he is checking out an investment he just made in what he calls a crash pad property. So, Chris, before we before we get to the thing that we're going to spend most of the time talking about, which is uh, how people can negotiate owner financing, what in the world is a crash pad property? 
Well, Vina, thank you for having me again. I always uh, love uh, coming on your show. You do an excellent job. And and Crashpad uh, Investment is something that's relatively uh, new to me. Uh, however, um, from what I understand is it's been around a little while. Uh, we just put our own uh, little twist on it. Uh, and basically what it is is it is a – way to get multifamily type cash flow, meaning a lot of cash flow, out of single family houses. And one of the ways that we do that is we rent by the room rather than the whole house uh, at once. Now, I know that may sound a little daunting. It may sound kind of crazy, but we have a very special niche uh, where we do this with military installations for military personnel that are stationed around the country and are here on what is known as temporary duty or a temporary training. So you're renting to uh, military personnel. Uh, it's extremely uh, an extremely good way to give back uh, to the military, but at the same time providing them housing uh, good quality housing that they would not have otherwise uh, been able to do. A lot of these military personnel, Vina, you know, when they come in for six weeks or six month type trainings, they're stuck in a hotel room for that period of time. And what we're doing is we're providing a fully furnished uh, single family home that they can live in uh, with their other classmates and uh, provide them with good quality home during their training periods at the various air bases around the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it probably, I think I heard a, a giant sigh of relief from everyone who was thinking when you first said, you know, putting multiple people in one house, they were thinking, no, he's he's doing like a rooming house. He's doing, there's going to be like bums living <laughs> in this house and, and then he said no 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 military personnel and every yeah every potential every potential neighbor of one of those houses went oh well that's nice i'm not like what i thought he was saying so i gather that because you are furnishing these properties and because uh, i assume that all the utilities are included and all of that stuff too that the overall cash flow even even net of your extra exp- expenses even even counting that you're paying the heat, the water, the phone, the cable, all that, the internet, all that stuff, is still significantly higher than it would be if you just rented the same house to a family for a year. Absolutely. And, in fact, uh, you mentioned that I am up in Dayton, and we did, um, we do have a military crash pad uh, up in the Wright-Patterson uh, Air Force Base area. And our net profit, even after you take off the higher vacancy rates and all the expenses, as you've mentioned. Our net cash flow is still higher than what our gross rent would have been um, with a normal rental. For those of you that are beginning investors, what that means is is we are getting a bottom-line number that is higher than the maximum number we could have gotten uh, with a, a conventional rental and, and with those conventional rentals, uh, Vina, as you know, you still have to take your expenses out uh, from that gross rental number. So we are exceeding, our net numbers are exceeding the gross possibilities of a traditional rental. Very cool. 
Very cool. And you get to house members of the military, which is going to make uh, a lot of a lot of people feel very patriotic and happy to be making lots of money housing people who need housing and are in the military. So uh, wonderful. Good luck with that. Uh, let us know how it turns out. We may we may come back and have you do a whole show just on <laughs> just on that topic, because we don't all live in areas where there is a, a military base close by. But I understand you can do similar sorts of housing for for other types of uh, like niche uh, tenants. Absolutely. In fact, you know, we're starting uh, with um, the Air Force just because that's who we have a relationship with. But there are other types of crash pads. Yeah, I know that the airline industry, um, you know, you can have relationships and build relationships with the different airlines to house their pilots and their uh, flight attendants that are on overnight um, and multiple day trips. Uh, there are other uses for, you know, the crash pad. Uh, it's, it's somewhat similar to what a few people are doing with these vacation rentals and the Airbnbs. Um, but my hesitancy with the vacation rental and the Airbnb type, uh, short-term rental Vena has always been that that is very economically driven. Meaning if the, if we go into some sort of economic downturn or we hit a recession, you know, the first thing that people start to do is they start to give uh, get away from what I call discretionary spending. And vacations are very, in my opinion, it's discretionary spending. So in other words, if you're in an economic downturn, these vacation rentals may have to be turned into traditional rentals. Um, and, and I was never, I didn't want to take that chance. And, but what I found is, is there's a way to get those vacation rental type rents or their per diem or per uh, month uh, type rents without having the uh, you know, possibility of an economic downturn because the military is always going to be training. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. Okay, uh, we are going to take a quick break and then we are going to turn our attention to the thing that you have really worked very hard on um, perfecting over the last 17 years, and that is seller financing. So, listeners, if you have any questions that you would like to pose to Chris McClatchy about seller financing, our number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. Uh, you can also send an email to askvena at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V-E-N-A at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vena Jones-Cox. My guest today is Chris McClatchy, uh, who is best known like out in the world as being a, an instructor about um, seller held financing. But Chris, in real life, you are a real estate investor. <laughs> it's, a, it's, funny how, it's funny how people see you on stage and they think that you spend all of your time on stage, right? And uh, I know you're, you're actually, you're actually, you spent some time here in Ohio. Now you're in the Orlando, Orlando-ish area. Uh, where are most of your investments? Uh, most of my investments, Vina, are in Florida. Um, you know, I'm originally from Cincinnati. Uh, went to St. Xavier High School. Went to school over in Northern Kentucky at NKU. Uh, and then my uh, lives uh, up in Cleveland for a while. Got my law degree up there. Practiced uh, 
practice law up uh, in uh, uh, Cleveland, Ohio for a while. And while I was an attorney, I started investing in Ohio. Uh, however, uh, as life sometimes uh, takes you different places, we ended up moving to Florida about 15 years ago. And so I sold uh, most of my investments from Ohio and transferred them uh, down to Florida. We do have properties outside of Florida. Uh, we just bought a, uh, a mountain uh, house up in uh, uh, North Carolina. We have some properties uh, still in Ohio. Uh, but most of my investments are in the uh, central Florida area. in Orlando and on the coast, uh, on the Atlantic coast. Mm -hmm. So give us a, give us a, draw us a picture mentally of what kinds of properties you like, because as as we start to talk about the strategy of getting them with creative financing, I kind of want people to understand what they're, what they're trying to get and, and what what happens after you buy them? I mean, sure, okay, so fine, I make my money, but when I buy, except I don't make any money unless I then turn around and do something. So, these are these are middle end properties, three bedrooms, four bedrooms. What do they what do they typically look like? For my personal investments, uh, Vina, I use uh, apartment buildings that are fifty five zero fifty units and less. And one of the reasons that, that is our my personal uh, target market is I've developed a thing called the avatar seller, meaning the ideal seller. Who are you looking for? Because when you're looking for somebody to give you owner financing, you're looking for a particular type of seller. And as you said, I will be uh, at Cincinnati RIA and also at uh, uh, Columbus uh, in Columbus RIA, um, you know, next month. And one of the things that I'm going to teach there is the four criteria that I look for in a seller. One of the biggest mistakes I think sometimes investors make is they go out and they're looking for leads on types of properties that they want to buy. What I teach is a little bit different. I say, don't worry about the property. Go and find the type of seller that is willing to do the type of deal you want to do. And we call that the avatar seller. And so what I, uh, even though I specialize in uh, small to mid-size apartment range, um, you know, type properties, my techniques really work on any uh, type of real estate. Uh, I have students and I have people that have, uh, you know, do single family houses. I have some that use my techniques for self-storage. I have one guy in Florida that uses it for marinas. He buys uh, marinas and rents boat slips. So what I teach is applicable uh, to any type of real estate investment. I particularly, I, um, I uh, invest mainly in apartment buildings, uh, 50 units and less. And the reason I do that is when you start getting up into apartment buildings of 75 units, 100 units or more, you tend, you tend to get into more corporately owned type properties. And when you want somebody to give you seller financing, you're looking for an investor, a regular person, not a corporation. And, and so usually those types of uh, owners own buildings that are 50 units and less. And those are the reasons we created, you know, the avatar seller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your your personal thing is the apartment buildings, but what we're going to talk about would also apply to the single family homes that most people are 
sort of more attached to. Um, there, there is a um, a key to the avatar seller <laughs> that we sort of need to discuss before we launch into a discussion of what you do with them. And that is they have to be in a particular situation in regards to whether or not their property is already financed. Yes and no. Um, the most common question I get uh, from people that attend, you know, RIAs or uh, here across the country is, does your program only work if the property is free and clear? And the answer to that question is, although, yes, ideally we would like it to be free and clear, it doesn't have to be free and clear. And I'll explain more about that. Um, you know, at the uh, classes, but they do have to have some sort of equity. They do have to have some sort of built-in uh, equity from the amount that they may still owe on a mortgage and the amount that the property is ultimately worth. My program is not designed for foreclosures. It's not designed for short sales. It's, it's not designed for uh, properties that are underwater it it just it does not work and and quite honestly that's not my area of expertise in fact i will the majority of people that get into this business think that those are the ideal investments and while they may be the ideal investments for different types of investing they're not the uh ideal type of properties uh, that we look for. In fact, I say, let the other investors have all the REOs. Let the other investors have the short sales and foreclosures. What we want is to go after the seller who either owns their property free and clear and or has uh, some equity in the property so that we can structure it and get the owner financing. Are there enough of those sellers around that everybody who is listening to you could go out and actually find some? I'm sure you know this, Vina, just because I, I know your background, and but I don't know that uh, your listeners may know this, but one-third of all property owned in the United States is owned free and clear. One of the biggest mistakes that investors or beginning investors tend to make is they think, I don't own my personal home free and clear, therefore, nobody owns their properties free and clear. Uh, and that is a uh, it's a big mistake because it's a, it is absolutely untrue. Uh, there are a ton of properties, not only uh, that are free and clear, but there are properties that are free and clear and on the market right under your nose uh, right now. And so the answer to your question is absolutely. And 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 even if they're not completely free and clear, they have a lot of equity which is why when I give the four specific criteria of the avatar seller uh, when they when they come to the RIA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, that, is a, that is a very common misconception. I, I think, um, especially after the, the Great Recession <laughs> that we've, we've <laughs> slowly, slowly come out of over the last uh, few years, and now I think people are, people are feeling pretty good about the economy again, but it seemed like everybody you talked to during that time was upside down, you know, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't even necessarily because they'd overpaid for their property. 
it was because the value of the property had dropped 30 or 40 percent since they since they bought it. And I think that did lead a lot of people to believe that everyone in America had a giant mortgage on their house. Um, and But even even back then, uh, you know, the, the numbers that we were being given about uh, what percentage of properties were free and clear was like 23, 24% of the properties in the country. And I think sometimes what people forget is that during that period, tens of thousands of properties were purchased for cash. I mean the number the number went up because there were there were so many you know bank owned properties on the market that that the only way an investor could buy them was for cash because there wasn't a lot of bank financing available and all those got added to that pool of free and clear properties that that we are looking for so um, just wanted to kind of get that out of the heads of anybody who might be listening to what you're going to say next and say well that's all great but there's no such thing as a person who could do this with me so. Walk us through the process that you would go through to try and negotiate a seller finance deal. I mean, we know number one, find a seller who has a free and clear property or a lot of equity. What is step two? At what point do you say to the seller, oh, by the way, Mr. Seller, I know I'm talking about buying your house, but I don't really want to give you cash. I really want to like give you payment. So like, when does that happen? Well, and, and that's a great Great question. There are two basic different lead sources that, that we use, uh, Vina, and, and one that I think you're alluding to right now is what I call the seller direct, meaning there's no real estate agent involved. It's just you and the seller. And what happens during that period of time is I think a lot of investors, and, and, and keep in mind, a lot of what I teach comes from the 17, 18 years of experience in this business. I made a lot of mistakes, as I'm sure early on in your career you may have made some mistakes yeah, as well. Also yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> the mistakes <laughs> never end. <laughs> you just don't make the same I, I ones over and over. <laughs> and one of the mistakes I made early on in my investing career, Vina, was I seemed to be getting those phone calls from uh, the sellers. I would go to the property, I would inspect the property, and I'd make an offer right on the spot. And one of the things that I noticed is more times than not, my offer was being rejected. And over the years, I figured out that one of the things that I think I failed to do was build a rapport or a relationship with that seller. And so what I did over time, and one of significantly is we created the seven-touch approach. In other words, there are seven specific points of contact that we have with our sellers before we make our offers. And so they feel like they have a relationship with us. They feel like they uh, have a rapport with us. I have had sellers, because we've uh, put them through this seven-touch approach, accept offers from us that were not the best financial offers. However, they felt more comfortable with us because of this relationship and this process that we put them through. So when you ask me, when do I tell the seller about owner financing, it's over the course of seven touches. It's over the course of seven points of communication uh, with the seller so that when we do come in with our offers, they're ready for it, they understand it, but more importantly, they 
trust us. If I came to a seller that I had just talked on the phone one time and met as I was walking through the property and offered them some sort of owner-financed offer, I have not built up enough of credibility or rapport with them for them to say yes. But over the course of seven uh, points of contact, uh, we have. And, and those exact seven points of contact are called the seven-touch approach. And again, we go over that when we have more time on the Saturdays. So how long does this take? Like this is this is going to, you know, this is going to drive everybody who sees the late night infomercial and thinks that you get rich in real estate like the next day. Crazy. The idea that you're going to touch these people seven times. All, all seven touches are completed within a 24 to 48 hour period. Now, I know that that sounds fast. You're thinking, oh, my goodness, how am I going to get seven points of contact in a 24 to 48-hour period. If you implement the, tu- uh, the points of contact or the seven touches as we teach them, it is actually very easy to do. Because the longer you draw this out, the more chances are that there are going to be other investors coming in, that they're going to be talking to other real estate agents or their, their in-laws or somebody who is knowledgeable in the family, and you're going to, and, and it becomes less of, a, um, of an opportunity. However, if you complete these seven touches within that 24 to 48-hour period, uh, they will want to deal with you and are more your chances of getting contracts accepted will go up exponentially over the investor who just meets them one time and gives them an offer. I thought you were going to tell me that takes you like a month to close a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Vina, you know better than that. I don't work that slowly. <laughs> yeah, and especially, you know, and we'll talk about this after the break, but especially in a market like like it is today where there aren't that many properties on the market. Everyone is reading that prices are going up, even in areas where it's not really that true. You know, prices are going up, market's very hot, et cetera. Um, we need to talk about how, how this is, how and whether this is still really working as well today as it did five years ago when people had a very hard time selling their house. But first, we do need to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we will answer your questions. Our number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. You can also send us an email. Just send it to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Chris McClatchy, spelled M-C-C-L-A-T-C-H-E-Y, by the way, a lesson I learned just a few days ago after knowing Chris for like 10 years. <laughs> I found out that you know, there's an E in his name. Um, and now I'm just, I'm just anchoring that every time I think about it, because I apparently misprinted his name last year in the uh, OREA summit brochure which went out to like twenty five thousand people who now think it's spelled wrong so uh chris is a, a longtime real estate investor he is also of course an educator who travels around the country and does seminars and boot camps and and multi-day events and so on he's coming to cincinnati on september the 7th and he's also coming to Cori in columbus on september the 5th which is uh 
if you want information about that event, because you're going to be closer to Columbus than Cincinnati, that is uh, centralohioria.com. Um, so, Chris, I, I, I'm asking every guest this question these days, because I know I know folks who are doing the same thing that they did before the recession and during the recession, and then I know people whose businesses have completely changed now that the now that the market is as hot as it is. Are you being just as successful uh, offering folks these seller finance deals today as you were in, say, 2009? Oh, I don't, I, I, I don't think I could say that, um, you know, Vina. Uh, obviously, in 2009, uh, the market was more depressed uh, than it was uh, is today. Um, the deals were much more abundant. And quite honestly, uh, it was because a lot of investors fled the market because of the downturn. You know, one thing I tell uh, people when, when they're willing to listen is, you know, the market's hot right now and everybody's flooding to become an investor. But what they really should be doing is flooding the market to become an investor when there's a downturn. Uh, you got to do what the, uh, the opposite of what the masses are doing. Uh, however, having said that, uh, although there aren't as many deals with owner financing out there, uh, we're still doing quite a number of them. And the reason for that is not only do we do owner financing, Vina, we, we get owner financing uh, at 0% interest. I know you kind of teased the power of zero topic uh, early in the program, but one of the f- advantages we have over uh, say, a traditional seller financing investor, is that we can offer full price. And sometimes we offer more than full price because we're able to get the seller financing at 0% interest. Now, for people just beginning or, or listening for the first time or get, thinking about getting into real estate, here's what that means. If I was to go out and buy a single-family house or a single-family investment house for $150,000, and I went out and I got a bank loan or a conventional-type loan on that house, over the course of the next 30 years, not only would I pay the original $150,000, but I would approximately pay another $150,000 back to the bank interest. So in other words, my total cost over that 30-year period would be approximately $300,000. But when we do our type of owner financing, we not only get seller financing, but we get it at 0% interest. So if if there's a house that's on the market for $150,000 and a traditional type investor uh, offers $150,000 and I go in and I can offer $160,000. Yes, I'm paying $10,000 more up front, but when I get that property at 0% interest, I'm only paying $160,000 compared to the investor who would buy it conventionally would pay $300,000. So even though I'm paying $10,000 more up front, I'm still saving $140,000 over the life of that loan. And by getting uh, deals this way, not only can you get the properties free and clear faster, you can get, uh, you can outbid other investors in hot markets because you have the ability to go uh, over and above what the asking price is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your particular 
seller finance strategy, which is go after great terms, not so much, you know, a fantastically discounted price, is going to work best for people who have a long-term view on the property. Correct. If you're going to wholesale it, it doesn't matter if you got 0% interest, 160 is the wrong price for a $150,000 property. But for, for people who are looking for um, maybe not even huge current cash flow, because my, my experience with the kinds of deals you're talking about is that many times I make absolutely no money on the property for the first five to eight years. Like I might make, you know, 50 bucks a month after all of my expenses and reserves. But after the five to eight years, the property is paid off. Yes and no, and, and respectfully no. When we, everybody has a different investment strategy. Would you agree with that, Vina? If we didn't, we wouldn't be able to have RIA groups because we would all kill each <laughs> other because we would all be trying to find exactly the same deal. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the things when, uh, uh, some of the RIAs started to ask me to, to teach. One of the things that I wanted to make sure that we did differently is we didn't have what I call a cookie-cutter program. In other words, kind of a one-size-fits-all. And so when one of the great things about our my program and what we teach is that you can develop the terms according to your needs. For example, there may be some people listening today who cash in their pocket right now is more important than getting it free and clear in five to eight years. There may be other people with great incomes or great jobs that say, I don't care about the income or the cash flow right now. I just want to get those properties free and clear as quickly as possible. And one of the great things that we teach is that your portfolio objective, that's what I call it, the portfolio objective, meaning your goals or what you want to accomplish these deals can be uh, crafted to meet your personal need. It's not a cookie cutter. So in other words, if you have a need for more cash in your pocket right now, you can choose a lower payment to the seller because you're picking the payment. The bank's not picking the payment. The bank's not choosing the interest rate, how much you can borrow or how much you're going to pay each month. The great thing about my program is very simple. You pick your payment, you pick your cash flow, and you pick how quickly how you uh, how quickly you want the property free and clear. And that way, anybody uh, can structure a deal according to what their personal needs are, not some uh, program that you know one size fits all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, there's, of course, a second party to all of this. I don't, <laughs> I don't want it to sound like you're saying, no, basically, like, you just, like, lay down the law and tell the seller how it's going to happen. Uh, you, you agree with, you know, you find something that meets both of your needs. It's not it's not that you say, listen, Mr. Seller, I want to pay this off in five years and have $1,000 a month cash flow. So, you know, there's some, <laughs> there's some combination of terms here that uh, you come to with your seller that works for everyone. Absolutely. And that's part of why, you know, if you just came in and you just learned my seven touch approach or uh, you just came in and learned my three offer approach or you just came in and found what the four criteria are for the avatar seller, you know, that would be great information. But one of the beautiful things about our program is we put it all together so that your portfolio objective can't, you know, uh, 
you know, of being cash flow oriented works in unison with the seven touch approach. In other words, that rapport and that relationship will help you get what you want as far as your terms or how you structure the deal. So when you put all of the pieces together, that's how, you know, we're going to be, you know, much more successful uh, than somebody who just piecemeals it. People come up to me all the time and they say, Chris, how did you get somebody to give you 0% financing? That's unheard of. And I've even had people say there's no way people will do that. Well, I have students all over the country that do it. Why? Because they put the people through the system and through the process that I teach in order to build that relationship with the sellers so that they do exactly that. All right, Chris, we need to take one last break, and then we really are going to go to the emails at askvina at gmail.com with listener questions. Uh, And also, uh, if you have any questions, listeners, that you want to make sure get answered, you're going to want to give us a call because we only really have about 10 minutes left in the program. The number is 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Chris McClatchy, who is uh, talking to us about some of his uh, adventures in seller financing. He's also going to be in Cincinnati on September 7th, CincinnatiRia.com for more information about that presentation and to download a free guest pass. Okay, so let's go to the uh, emails here at askvina at gmail.com. We have one from Kyle in Savannah that says, do you actually tell the seller you want to pay them 0% interest or is there some other way you say it? (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, No, we do not uh, tell them that it's 0% interest. One of the things that I've learned over the years is there are ways to say things without actually saying them. Um, We're very open and honest and above board of what we're doing. However, when we submit our contracts or our offers uh, to the sellers, the wording is very specific um, as to uh, the focus. One of the things that I teach is a mistake that a lot of investors make when they write their offers. They're not paying attention to the words and phrases that are in those offers. And most, uh, most investors, and most realtors for that matter, write their um, uh, offers from what I call a taking perspective. In other words, they write their offers telling the seller what they want to take from them. What we do is we switch that perspective up. And when we write our offers, we write our offers from a giving perspective because people are much more open when you're going to give something to someone than they are when you try to take something from them. A lot of investors go in and they say, I want your property for X number of dollars, which is usually, you know, a lowball offer or less than what the, the property is worth. In other words, you're trying to take the property from them. We teach how to phrase your um, uh, contracts and your language so that you're actually uh, giving it from a giving perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't actually have to say 0% interest if you say, I'm going to give you $150,000. At seven fifty a month for two hundred months. <laughs> that's, that's, right. the, that's basically saying the same thing, right? I don't, I don't actually have to say. Oh, and by the way, I should tell you. <laughs> that's <laughs> well. We have a specific. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and 
but we have a specific uh, language that we use in every contract. And of course, I teach that language um, at the one day uh, at Cincinnati and uh, um, Korea. Mm-hmm. So uh, this question is from Jackson in Grove City, Ohio. He says, the one thing you folks haven't talked about is what kind of seller financing is this? Is it a mortgage, a lease option, or something else? This is a traditional uh, sale. So in other words, the seller will get a mortgage. Uh, they essentially become the bank. It's a traditional uh, closing. The only difference between what we do and getting a conventional loan is that the mortgage document and the promissory note are coming from the seller instead of coming from the bank. But other than that, it's a regular closing, just like you would if you were buying a house with bank financing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think Jackson's question was the the first thing you said, which is that um, you, you actually memorialize it with a mortgage and a note. Absolutely. And, it, and the mortgage gets filed. It's a secured uh, you know, uh, note, secured mortgage uh, on the property. They have all the rights that the bank would have, et cetera. Again, it's just a regular transaction other than the fact that the seller is becoming the bank. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. A question from Ryan in Atlanta, who was listening very closely. He says, back at the beginning of the show, Chris indicated that you were talking about one of his two ways of finding sellers, which was a seller direct negotiation. What was the other one? It's de- it's with real estate agents. Uh, we do use in uh, the MLS, we do use real estate agents. Uh, sometimes they uh, are off-market properties, but they are Uh, the leads do come from real estate agents. However, when you have a real estate agent involved, we handle that very differently than we would with the seller direct. As I indicated earlier, with a seller direct, you use a seven-touch approach, and then we use a a three-offer approach on a seller direct. With a real estate agent involved, we handle that very differently because agents are involved and uh, and so uh, you don't use the seven-touch uh, approach because, quite honestly, you won't ever talk to the seller when there's agents involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is is that, are you finding, uh, oh, these are paid-off properties. Okay, I was about to ask you if you're finding the agents being very cooperative in this because I know over the years I've suggested to agents that maybe the best thing for a seller who was highly leveraged might be for me to take over their payments. And the agents have typically been pretty hostile to that idea. They've said things to me like, well, I don't even think that's legal. And, you know, I I assure you, I would not suggest that you do something illegal. (laughs) But but like, I mean, they have this like knee jerk reaction, but you're able to overcome that. uh, I, I imagine largely because this is an easier transaction. Absolutely. And but there are still agents out there that you know, are not open to the ideas. And and while I don't want to, you know, most of the large national franchises, they tend to trans, um, they tend to educate uh, their agents for transactions with in um, traditional home buyers, and they typically don't uh, like their agents working with investors. Uh, but there are a lot of great agents out there that are willing and open to working with investors. It may take a couple of agents to find uh, a good one, but there are agents that are willing to do that. And and it's funny when the markets tend to turn, meaning you know it's a hard, it's a it's a seller's market right now. It's a hot market. 
agents tend not to want to work with investors because uh, they it's easy uh, to sell a house. However, when the markets turn, they tend to turn to the investors because they're the only ones buying at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Mitchell from Oops, Mitchell from Cincinnati says, if Chris is buying primarily apartment buildings, I'm wondering how much these sellers want in terms of a down payment to feel good about this transaction. Our, and again, we explain all of these in the centuries. When we do a seller direct situation, we make three offers. One of them is an all-cash offer. Another one is a kind of a middle-of-the-road offer with a small down payment. And then our third one is no money down. Uh, So it just depends on which one the seller likes. When we're dealing with real estate agents, our standard offer is usually about 10% down uh, because we have to make sure that the agent's commissions get paid, the title uh, company gets paid, et cetera. But most of the properties that we are doing – are anywhere from about 10 to 20 percent, but I would say 75 percent of the deals that we do, uh, our down payments are anywhere from 10 to 15 percent. And and to clarify, you said you make three offers of cash, one with a small down payment and one with no down payment. What would be different between those offers other than what you said is the price, right? The cash offer is going to be low. (laughs) The low down payment offer is going to be higher, and the no-down payment offer would be the highest price, but least money in the seller's pocket right now, right? That's absolutely correct. And we actually, on the Saturdays, will uh, go over exactly how to structure those uh, and give you exact uh, numbers and percentages to put into those offers so that you can make those um, offers uh, you know, uh, look really attractive to a seller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Chris, we are we are fast running out of time here. Um, if you were sitting in front of a whole crowd full of people who knew very little about seller financing but were interested in getting into it, and you could like install one thing in all of their heads that would get them pushed in the right direction, and it can't be you're not allowed to say come to Cincinnati on September seventh and see me. <laughs> because <laughs> we got people who can't come to Cincinnati and see you. Like, what what one thing do you think, I don't know, is the biggest misunderstanding, the biggest mistake people make when they're approaching this? What, what would you like to tell these folks? Two words, recession-proof. One of the reasons I created the power of zero was because in 06 and 07, when we had that downturn, you know, we lost a lot of money and a lot of equity in our properties. And one of the reasons that investors... Uh, left the business and were underwaters because they were buying at the height of the market and they were financing conventionally. And one of the things I wanted to create was a way to, even though we may and will have a recession in the future, I wanted a way to protect my portfolio. One of the reasons people went underwater is when you pay a mortgage payment to the bank, 95% of it goes to interest and 5% goes to principal reduction. However, when you get 0% financing, every penny you pay to that seller goes straight to the principal. So even in a downturn, you can uh, keep up with the downturn because your payment is reducing the principal uh, much, much faster than it would in a conventional loan. So for those of you that are thinking about getting into this, 
think about what you want to do as far as your portfolio goes. If you're in this for the long term and the passive income, you don't want to get hurt with a reset, another recession. And we will have another recession, whether it's a year from now, five years from now, or 10 years from now. There will be another economic downturn. The question is, are you going to position your portfolio to survive that, or are you going to fall victim to uh, like a lot of investors did back in 06 and 07? Very good. And wow, that's about as passionate as I've heard you <laughs> like express something ever in the whole time I've, in the whole time I've known you. So and I and I get it. I mean, you're speaking like somebody who went through that. <laughs> yeah, as, as, as many of us were. So uh, that's wonderful. Uh, we are out of time. Do appreciate you being with us today, Chris, and want to remind folks who are somewhere within a couple hours drive of Cincinnati or Columbus that they can come check out the whole formal presentation with the slides and the examples and the pictures and all the stuff that you go to live meetings for in Columbus, September 5th, centralohioria.com. In Cincinnati, September 7th, cincinnatiria.com. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.